Hi, I'm Moses Apostaticus. Like all Western nations, Australia is about to enter a period of financial collapse, civic turmoil, and most likely violent revolution. Periods like this occur throughout history when elites become too corrupt, when the welfare state becomes unsustainable, social structures don't keep up with technology, and an economic winter makes the people rise up against their oppressors. The scale of this coming revolutionary period will be like nothing before though, as the scale of our problems is so vast. Australia, in the coming decades, will be a very different place. The period we're in now, just before the crisis, is probably the most important period of all, because it's the people writing, thinking and coordinating now who will determine the nature of the revolution once it breaks out. This period of ideological chaos right now will be when the answers are developed and spread. During revolutionary periods such as what's coming, once the bullets start flying, the trajectory of the revolution is set. The classical liberal ideas of the American Revolution, for example, were developed and spread well before the Boston Tea Party. And the socialist ideas of writers such as Rousseau became popular before the French Revolution. The same pattern holds true for all the revolutions of modernity. That's why it's so important that we correctly understand the problems Australia is facing now and come up with solutions which will make life better for the people of this nation afterward, not worse. What's shaping up in Australia, though, is not really a revolution, but rather a counter-revolution. The new rightist movement which is emerging is a reaction against the excesses of the Marxists over the past century. It's not really revolution, but restoration, that the rebellious youth are agitating for. If you ask anyone in these new movements of the right what is the most urgent problem facing Australia today, they'll probably answer one of two things. The attack on free speech and the demographic replacement of ethnic Australians. Of these two, it's actually the second which is the most disastrous. A nation can survive just about anything. Tyranny, invasion and occupation, plague, famine and economic depression. But no nation can ever survive demographic replacement. It's what has always finished nations off. When we look historically, however, demographic replacement has always been the last stage of a process of collapse which began long before. If we take the Western Roman Empire, for example, which actually has many parallels to this postmodern West, it was the corruption of the elites, unfundable welfare schemes for the soldiers, and the debasement of the currency to fund imperialist wars, which were the driving factors behind the empire being swamped by barbarians. If the government had been able to fund the army without oppressively taxing the population, then they wouldn't have had to use barbarian auxiliaries to defend the northern frontier while fending off the Persians in the east. If previous Roman emperors had reigned in spending instead of debasing the currency over the centuries, 
then the economy would have been resilient enough to provide the revenue the government needed to survive the crisis. The barbarians flooding over the northern frontier was just the last step in the decline and fall of the Western Roman Empire. The rot had set in much earlier. The same is true for us. Our governments have run up enormous public debts which threaten to take down our banking systems, yet they still won't be able to fund welfare programs and pension schemes over the coming years. The mentality of entitlement which has taken root in Australia is both a cause and a consequence of every layer of society becoming parasitically attached to the teat of public welfare. Socialism is killing us, not just economically, but also demographically. The reason white birth rates in Australia is so, are so low is not primarily because we became rich or we educated women. It's because of taxes. The tax burden on working Australians is crippling us, and alongside the scandalous cost of housing is preventing young Aussies from having as many children as they otherwise would. Add in the feminist mentality, which has been indoctrinated into our girls from birth by the cultural Marxists, and it's a testament to the spirit of our people that there are any Anglo-Aussie babies being born at all. The first and foremost task for any movement which seeks the restoration of Australia must be the destruction of the vice-like grip which the neo-Marxist left has on the institutions of this nation and the minds of her people. Our kids have been brainwashed with that toxic bullshit for decades now. We have become slaves on the socialist debt plantation without even realising it. Now that it is killing us off, our elites are just importing people to replace us. The two problems are interconnected. If we just focus on one of those problems, then we will not restore the nation. That would suit the globalist oligarchy just fine. Our movement must remain united if it is to be effective, despite the differences that some of us have with each other. If you hate the left half as much as I do, I'll stand with you against them and call you a brother in the fight. We therefore have to face the division which has emerged recently between civic nationalists and white identitarians. Both were allies until the last few months, when divisions emerged largely over issues concerning race. There are prominent leaders overseas on both sides who are urging people to pick a side. This is a dangerous path in my view and weakens our movement overall. It only strengthens our enemies. So let's have a look at where this division has come from and whether we can find some common ground between the alt-light and the alt-white. Civic nationalism and cultural libertarianism are the main belief systems driving the alt-light movement. It's a big tent movement comprised of libertarians, classical liberals and conservative patriots. This has made for some odd bedfellows. What unites the alt-light though is an emphasis on free speech and therefore opposition to the excesses of the cultural Marxist left and the encroaching Sharia tyranny of Islam. 
it's largely a movement being driven by opposition to Islam and the left. And while it seems united at the moment, it is clear that the groups in the alt-light will have nothing in common with each other once the cultural Marxists and the pesky Muslims are dealt with. The problem with civic nationalism is the problem with all ideological movements based upon liberal principles. They don't provide an identity for the adherence of the movement. Classical liberalism worked in the past because Western countries were Christian and ethnically homogenous. That gave people an identity, and so politics could be just about ideas. We don't have such unity in our society anymore. What do a boomer conservative, a gay millennial free speech advocate and a gun-loving libertarian Gen Xer have in common? Nothing, except a love for free speech. That's not a viable basis for any movement in the long term, and will fall apart quickly once the cultural Marxists are taken care of. What then? Kekistan? The second school of thought which is gaining ground on the right, white identitarianism, has seemingly solved this problem of a lack of identity by grounding its ideas in the desire for a pan-white ethnostate. This provides its adherents with a strong sense of shared purpose, convincing narratives, and a clear identity. It's also a message which is resonating deeply with young white males rebelling against the toxic anti-white programming they've received all their lives from the left. For 50 years, the cultural Marxists have been telling us that straight white males are the most evil people on the planet. The alt-white have now taken that identity label as a basis for their counter-reactionary ideology. This approach works to defeat the left, but there are also some problems with it. The main problem with white identitarianism in Australia is that this identity is ultimately shallow and not grounded in anything real. It's an identity based upon phenotypes. Whiteness is a meta-racial category that relies upon biological materialism for its credibility. It's a negative form of identity, defining itself as only what it is not. In this sense, it's more similar to the collectivist identity types of the left than the stable, pre-modern and organic forms of identity common to the traditional pre-modern right. Whiteness tells us nothing outside of biology. It has no language, no specific culture, no clear heritage that is its own. It's too big a category to provide a basis for national restoration. This is why white identitarianism will require a charismatic leader and the use of the power of the state to bring about what that leader declares are the aims of the movement. It's an ideologically empty vessel with no clear objective outside a white ethnostate. Ideological vacuums like this are usually filled by a tyrant. At the end of the day, what does a Lithuanian have in common with a Scot, or a Czech, or a New Zealander? Very little. This is why ethnicity is the only sound basis for a nationalist movement, 
and it is the only basis for identity which will provide a way through the coming catastrophe for Australia. Ethnicity is defined partly by race, but also by a common language, shared heritage, and ancestral faith. It is the basis of our national identity, whether we acknowledge it or not. It is the common bonds of blood, memory, and tongue which have held nations together for centuries, even when they've lost their homelands. It's the extended kinship network of which all nations are formed. It's a meta-family, if you like. This is the power of ethnic identity, and it is the only sound and stable basis for nationhood. Ethnicity is more than just values, and it's more than just race. Indeed, it reconciles these two. It is also how people thought about themselves for millennia before cultural Marxism destroyed our identities after the Second World War. Civic nationalists are not being honest with themselves when they deny the reality of race. Only someone who refuses to acknowledge evidence would still argue that there are no biological differences between the races, particularly when it comes to such important characteristics as IQ. It's also true that most people prefer their own race, and have done so throughout history. When the identitarians point out that diversity plus proximity equals conflict, they're right. That's been the pattern of history, especially when the economic cycle turns down like it is now. One of the reasons normies are so scared of race is because they know that this is true. Whenever the economic depression starts and trust disappears, the migrants get it. It's just the way it is. Humans prefer their own kind when hard times hit. And as we all know by now, very, very hard times are coming for Australia. It's not just one's own race, however, that people prefer. This is another problem with the identitarian viewpoint. History is filled with examples of people of the same race killing each other. The US Civil War is a prime example, as well as the Chinese Civil War and the Korean War. Race is not everything, and beliefs, cultural differences, religious tensions and language barriers can also provide the fissures which break out into conflict which then rip societies apart. This is why ethnicity is the only solid basis for national identity. Race forms part of eth ethnicity, but not everything. Ethnic identity is also comprised of language, faith, culture, and shared historical traditions. Australians are Christian or secular Anglo-Celts who speak English, like their sports, and follow certain customs on national holidays. That's who we are. And as Yasmin found out, it's also why you don't fuck with Anzac Day. My question to the civic nationalists is this. Are there 7 billion potential Australians in this world? If not, how many are there who can land here, adopt the values, and become Australian? A billion? Half a billion? How do you decide who can and who can't 
without reference to ethnicity or race. You can't. It's a bogus basis for nationhood. My question to the white identitarians is this. Would you support the entire population of Australia being replaced with whites from, say, Eastern Europe? If not, why not? They're white, right? Well, then maybe biology isn't everything. As usual, both of these ideologies have a fragment of the truth. It's in the nature of modernity to build belief systems upon partial truths, then ultimately resort to using power and violence to enforce the ideology when reality shows up its flaws. Let's avoid making this great error of modernity again this time. Let's start with reality instead of abstract ideals or materialist reductionism. Whatever form this revolutionary movement takes in Australia, at its heart will be a statement about identity. Pre-modern people never considered identity much, because before the modern period, a man's identity was clear. He gained it from his family, his village, his ancestral occupation, and the stories handed down to him from his forefathers. He never questioned who he was, because he never needed to. Modernity erased all of these, and as the Industrial Revolution has swept the world, and people have flooded to the cities, they have been deracinated, destoried, and made to serve the interests of international capital. This has left modern man without an identity to give him dignity, meaning, purpose, and a place to stand in this world. Postmodern man has looked for identity from his lifestyle, his hobbies, his job, and the products he buys. None of these have worked. We've tried everything, but there is no substitute for an organic, ethnic identity. Whatever movement emerges in the coming years, this issue of identity will be at the heart of it. The cultural Marxists have convinced us that if white Australians ever assert an ethnic identity in the same way non-white -nation, non nations do, we'll all become bloodthirsty mass murderers. We know it's bullshit. Of course there are too many foreigners who have been brought into this country, but there's no reason that fixing this problem has to lead to atrocity. The longer we wait to address the problem, though, the lower that likelihood becomes. Let's just face it now, while the better angels of our nature are still in charge. As an ethnic nationalist, I believe strongly that Australia must reassert an Anglo-Celtic ethnic identity and restore our demographic balance to what it was before misguided post-war immigration policies flooded our nation with incompatible foreigners. We must restore the white Australia policy in the meantime. Although we must restore our identity as Anglo-Celtic Aussies and reject multiculturalism, we must also face the reality that if we must have immigration from outside Britain and Ireland, then it should be Western European whites who come. Some foreigners are just more compatible than others. That's just reality. And if facts hurt your feelings, then you should probably reevaluate your beliefs.
There will be many compatible Western Europeans looking for sanctuary in the coming years, fleeing the delights of multicultural enrichment in Europe. Bringing these people here could help us restore our demographic balance to something more stable and sustainable. We could also help the Boers in South Africa, who are being abandoned by our traitorous elites and will soon be genocided. While not racially brothers, they are our cousins and will graft themselves onto the Anglo-Celtic stock already here much better than their dark-skinned rivals for the continent of Africa ever could. It also goes without saying that practitioners of Islam are incompatible with a liberal Christian culture like Australia's. Muslim immigration must cease and repatriation of radicalized enclaves must begin. We need to break up the toxic ghettos so that what's happening in Europe doesn't happen here. We also need to challenge those who are given a platform to apologize for Islam and protect it from criticism. It's true that not all Muslims spontaneously combust, but too many of them do for us to be squeamish about addressing the problem. Welfare must only ever be available to Australians, if at all, and foreign ownership of our assets must be curtailed and prevented in the future. We must implement the same ethnocentric practices as countries like China, Japan and Israel already do in order to protect our people and advance our interests. I don't hate foreigners and I don't blame them for coming here. Our ancestors created a paradise and these foreigners just took advantage of the treachery of our globalist elites. Those who have settled here, taken on the language and the culture and support the Anglo-Celtic majority of the nation can perhaps find a place here. Those who remain hostile to us and want to change the country will need to be repatriated back to their desert and jungle homelands. The restoration of Australia is a big project, but is a worthy one for the young generation we have coming to adulthood today. You are the inheritors of Vikings, Crusaders, Empire Builders, the Diggers and the Rats of Tobruk. You are the greatest race which ever lived. Remember it and become who you are. Now, if you enjoyed this video, you might like to learn more about my ideas for restoring Australia. Check out my website, tradnash.net, or my other videos.